Can you imagine his amazement when three days later he got a letter from Sweden that his sister had died the very night that he had the dream? And so he became a believer in ESP called extrasensory perception. Now, I don't know what you think about ESP. I heard a story about ESP one time. Said a man told his wife, he said, I'm tired of more going out than's coming in in the money around here. And so I want you to list all of the ways you spend your money. I want you to put them down. So his wife was very dutiful, and she, she made four lists. And she included the milkman and the cleaners and the grocery store and a lot of things. But she had one thing on her list. And it said ESP, $24.21. And her husband read through the list and he said, I understand all this, but what is this ESP, $24.21? She said, that means error some place. $24.21. Well, now, if you mess around with ESP, you're liable to find error someplace. And we need to be cautious. But you know something? We're too cautious. We're too cautious with the supernatural. And the last place in the world we expect the supernatural to take place is in church. And some people wonder why their children aren't more excited about church. You know why, parents? Because you're not. And I guarantee if you, like Matthew B., begin to share with your children how you pray for this and pray for that and pray for something else and you start getting it and you are transformed by your relationship with the Lord and people are healed and delivered and set free and you share that with your children, they're going to get excited about it too. Many people believe that the church is the dullest place around because we haven't realized that Easter is supernatural. Now that's the reason that when it came to my message today, I didn't choose the events of the cross. I, I didn't even choose the event where the woman, women went on the morning of the resurrection and they found the empty tomb. I chose one other event that is only recorded in one half of the Gospels. It's recorded in Mark 16 and in Luke 24. And it's a story of Jesus appearing to two people. Now some scholars say two men, some scholars say a man and his wife. But he appeared to two people on the road to Emmaus. And uh, they were going on a journey. And although it's only mentioned two times in the Bible, an ecumenical spiritual emphasis has sprung out of this account. It's called the Emmaus Walk. And many of you have heard of it. Some of you have participated in it. It comes originally, that's, the Emmaus Walk is Methodist. But it comes from the original Roman Catholic movement called the Curcio movement that began in Spain in 1948. It is when people get together for spiritual instruction. 
The word cursillo in the Spanish means course. And so it's a short course in Christianity. And I didn't know anything I could do for you any better than on Easter Sunday to give you a short course in Christianity. Whether you've been a Christian a long time or whether you're debating whether to become a Christian or not. So now I want you to open your Bible. I want you to turn to page 736 or I want you to turn in your Bible to Luke 24 beginning with verse 13. And I want you to follow me as I go through this scripture. And the first thing we learn about the walk with Jesus in his supernatural power is that it needs to be a directed walk. In verse 13 it says, And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were going somewhere. I believe your spiritual life ought to be going somewhere. Somebody said if you aim at nothing, you're bound to hit it. Their destination was Emmaus. Emmaus was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now you'll get confused if you go to the Holy Land today because there are four different cities that claim they were built on the ground that was Emmaus. And you just kind of take your pick. But the word Emmaus really meant warm springs, kind of like hot springs uh, out in Oklahoma or the hot springs in Virginia. Used to be people would go to these hot springs and bathe in them for healing. And do you remember when Jesus came to them on the Emmaus Road? They said, are you a visitor? Are you a stranger? Are you one of the tourists going to Emmaus? Now, I believe that our walk in Jesus ought to be walking toward the warm springs of the Spirit. We should be trying to get warmed by Him. We should expect when we come to Him that our lives will be changed and we will have a warming, renewal experience. That's the reason the Bible says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He's near. Dwight L. Moody said, The world waits to see what God can do with one man who is totally committed to Him. And Moody said, By the grace of God, I'm going to be that man. Now, I believe that's the way you ought to begin your walk in the Lord. To say, God, I want the supernatural and I'm not going to be satisfied until I get it. Now, secondly, you need to walk with somebody. You don't need to just walk by yourself. Look at Luke 24, verse 14. And they were conversing with each other about all these things that had taken place. Now, in none of Jesus' post-resurrection experiences did he only appear to one person at a time. He appeared to twos and threes and twelves and one time to 500. Now, he did appear to Mary Magdalene. 
But this was really before his resurrection appearance to the church. But when he came to the church, he appeared to them corporately. Now you can go off under a tree with a Bible, and you can be with God by yourself, but you probably won't get very far. Because you see, we're supposed to have fellowship in the Lord, and it says that these people on the way to Emmaus found out it was Jesus when they broke bread together and were in a corporate unity. That's the tragedy if you only come Sunday morning for one service, beloved. It's because you don't rub together with the brothers and the sisters enough and you won't grow a great deal because you need that camaraderie. You need that togetherness. In healing groups like Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, they have group meetings. They have a sponsor. They say you better seek fellowship if you're going to get well. In our seed evangelism program, when a new believer comes into the church, immediately we put a sponsor with that new believer so he can have somebody walk with him. And beloved, when we come to Jesus and we experience his resurrected reality, we're not alone. We're part of the church of Jesus Christ the confederacy of the confessed. And so we need to walk with somebody. Thirdly, as we walk, we need to know that God cares about us and about our walk. Look in Luke 24, beginning with verse 15. And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still, looking sad. Now, beloved, this is a sad age. It's an age of loneliness. It's an age where many people have feelings of insignificance. And the resurrected truth is that God really cares about you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to be involved in your life. It says that when they were sad, Jesus drew near them. In the 60s, there was a kind of a weird fellow named Malcolm Boyd. He was an Episcopalian priest. And he wrote a book entitled Run With Me, Jesus. <laughs> and one summer I was doing graduate work at Lancaster Theological Seminary in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and I had a professor that didn't like Malcolm Boyd, and he didn't like that book, and he said, that's the biggest bunch of trash I ever heard with. Heard of. You don't run with Jesus. Or rather, Jesus doesn't run. I got it turned around. Jesus doesn't run with you. You run with Jesus. The book was entitled, Run With Me, Jesus. Jesus doesn't run with you. You run with Jesus. Wrong. Wrong. Malcolm Boyd had it right. Jesus does run with us. 
That's the most marvelous truth. He will accommodate himself to our pace. He's kind. He's patient with us. He knows we struggle. We don't go as fast as we ought to go. And he doesn't just slough us off. But he's there with us. Now he doesn't accommodate his standards to us. Don't mistake me for that. He is holy. And he has holy standards. He is in charge. And don't make any mistake about that. But he is sympathetic with your struggle. And the resurrected truth is that the risen Christ is approachable. He is approachable to us. You know, I often wondered what Jesus looked like. Have you ever wondered that? What did people see when they saw him? Now, I personally don't believe that he was an imposing, charismatic type of person. And the reason I don't believe that is because 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah prophetically described him. And let me read to you what Isaiah wrote. He said, he has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. And also it's evident that those two people on the road to Emmaus, they didn't recognize him. They had seen him, but they didn't recognize him when he came. Evidently he was not a threatening person. He was a person that people could be comfortable around. And you see, they were so comfortable that they just poured out their heart to him. Look again down here, beginning in verse 18 of Luke 24. Beginning in verse 18. And one of them named Cleophas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem? and unaware of these things which have happened in these days? And he said to them, Jesus said to them, what things? And they said to him the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the term, tomb early in the morning. And they did not find his body. And they came saying that they'd also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the woman also has said. But him they did not see. Isn't it amazing that the king of the universe, the one who had a name above every name, the one that could speak worlds into being, listened to all of that. He just walked along and he listened to all of that. And the resurrected truth is that your Jesus will walk with you through your pain and through your doubt 
and through your questionings, He will walk with you there. And I've got news for you. Your motive doesn't always have to be right. You know, Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. He said, what's it going to profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? And what did these men want? They wanted an earthly treasure. They wanted victory over Rome. They wanted earthly security. And so Jesus walked with them even though their motives were not exactly correct. Now, we've been studying healing. We've had a special class on it. And we've been using a very good book called Power Healing by John Wimber. And in that book, John Wimber is very careful to point out that God is the healer. And it is not your faith that heals. You know, some folks won't even go to a doctor because they believe that going to a physician will make God think that they don't have enough faith. And we've got to get away from that conception of God. Now, faith is good, and God wants you to have it, and sometimes it is the genesis of your healing. But it's only the genesis because God honors it. Dick Robinson, he told an amazing story. He said there was a preacher in Florida. And, you know, he was like the normal, average Presbyterian preacher. I know because I are one. And uh, he, he just wasn't sure about this thing of healing. And some of his people pressured him. And they said it says in the Bible, God heals. And somebody got sick with glaucoma. And they forced him into praying for that man. And so he finally went. And this is what he said. He called his name. And he said, I've got to be honest with you. I'm not even sure I believe this. But I love you. And I love the Lord. And so I'm going to anoint you with oil. And I'm going to pray. And the man was healed. You see, beloved, God doesn't expect perfection. He just wants you to walk with him. And fourthly, we need to walk in the Word. We need to walk in the Word. Look at Luke 24, 25. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Now it's important you realize he didn't put them down. That word foolish comes from a Greek word that doesn't mean ignorant or doesn't mean stupid. It means you don't have complete understanding. Jesus said you're slow of heart. He didn't say you're slow of head. He said you're slow of heart to understand. And then in verse 26, he says, was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? You see, they didn't understand him. They didn't understand the cross because they didn't have complete understanding. And you see, in the book of Revelation, it says that the resurrected Jesus will stand before the throne, and that throne is sealed with seven seals. It has a, there's a book of God at the throne sealed with seven seals. It's the revelation of God. And Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, tears apart those seals and opens it up. 
And you don't get the complete understanding until the resurrected Jesus opens the word to you. Tony Campolo, he's one of my heroes. And he talks about something that happened to him when he was 15. He said he was invited to a Bible study on Saturday night. Now, he didn't want to go to a Bible study on Saturday night. And he said when he got there, he thought it was corny. They sang the songs he learned in vacation Bible school. But he said something happened. And he said it pricked my interest. And he found himself going back and back. And he, he couldn't understand it because the Bible study was, uh, was taught by a very slight-built man, not a charismatic figure at all, had a little thin pencil-lined mustache, and he was an accountant. And he talked about like an accountant. He was not a public teacher. He told no jokes. He didn't have any deep scholarship. But he had a love for those kids and he had a love for the Word and he wanted them to get it. And Tony Campola said, I got it. And he said, before you put down that little Bible study on Saturday night by the accountant, you need to know that one attending that study was George Fuller, who became an outstanding Bible scholar and president of Westminster Theological Seminary. Another man was Keith Harmon, who earned his doctorate and teaches religion today at Ursinus College. Another was Bob White, who became academic dean of Duke University. Another was Preston Ramson, who won the Tennessee William Playwright Award for his play King Crab on Broadway and public TV. Plus the fact there were at least 15 pastors that went from that Bible study into the ministry. That's what the psalmist meant when he said, this book is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And when the resurrected Jesus opens it up, It'll transform your life. And then fifthly, you need to walk with a burning heart. Look in Luke 24, beginning with verse 28. And I'm closing now. And they approached the village where they were going. And he acted as though he would go further. And they urged him saying, stay with us. For it's getting toward evening and the day is now nearly over. And he went to stay with them. And it came about that when he had reclined at table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us? You see, that's the result of this walk. It's a burning heart. Tony Campolo, he's not just a professor of sociology in a college. He's not just a very interesting speaker that travels all over this country speaking mostly at colleges about Jesus. But Tony Campolo has a burning heart. He developed Cornerstone Christian Academy, a school for inner city children with learning disabilities. He founded an organization to establish Christian hospices for AIDS victims. 
He's a member of the International Board of Directors for Habitat of Humanity. God took that inattentive teenager and he turned him around through the power of the Word and the resurrected Jesus walked with him and gave him a burning heart. And so the resurrection walk is not just a directed walk, a walk that shows us God cares about us, a walk of fellowship, a walk in the Word, but it's the walk of the burning heart. And most of all, it is a walk for Jesus. And it's a walk with Him. And don't miss the last thing. Look at the end of it very quickly as we close. Verse 33. And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. So it is a directed walk, a walk that, that shows us God cares about us, a walk of fellowship, a walk in the Word, a walk of the burning heart, and it's a walk that enables other people to walk. Now, how do you know you're walking with Jesus? How do you know that Jesus is running with you when you care? And when you go out where you work and where you go to school and you are not ashamed of the gospel or of his power and you begin to help other people walk, then I'll know as your pastor that you've got a good dose of the resurrected Lord. And you'll understand what Paul wrote and the words I close with, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And then He says, As in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Again, He says, Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, earthly, we shall also bear the image of a, the heavenly. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Praise the Lord. Father, we just thank you. We praise you. We glorify your name. And right now, Lord, as we close, might we do that, that you alone will enable us to do. Might we begin that walk. And oh, Father, we pray that we will not miss the resurrected Jesus and all of his power in our life.